another inspiring message from Christchurch in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Apocalypse is about the fact that a lot of our thinking is futile. And, you know, the, it comes from the central theme. You know, the word apocalypse uh, literally means apo, meaning to see, apocalypse or collapse, to, you know, see it all falling down, see it all, all ending. It's literally talking about seeing the end of the world. And apocalypse is really about the fact that in our minds, we can often think like it's the end of the world. And I want to talk to you a, a message tonight, which I really think is going to help everybody here. As uh, obviously in Wellington, in recent times, we've you began to live through a series of earthquakes, and uh, Friday's earthquake was pretty significant from what I understand, certainly on the Richter scales, right up there with anything we've had in Christchurch. And by the way, if you've never heard me, I'm from Christchurch and uh, have lived there for the last seven years and lived right through the 2011 earthquakes and experienced all that kind of stuff that goes on. And what I found, one of the most amazing things that begins to happen with people who walk through those kind of things is that your mind, or what I would call your imagination begins to run wild with you very easily if you don't keep it under control and begins to track out into worst case scenarios and negative things and can really take hold of people's hearts and lives and begin to take, really can captivate you under a spirit of fear and intimidation around what possibly could happen. And so I really want to talk to you tonight about the power of your imagination and how you can use your imagination for your good and not for your bad, how you can cause it to bring in your life freedom and faith rather than fear and captivity and unbelief, and how God wants to use your imagination to really cause your life to be released. I remember as a small child uh, one time staying, my, my grandparents lived in Rotorua. How many from Rotorua here tonight? Nobody. Fantastic. <laughs> Just you. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, well, you know, Rotorua is a, is a little town in the middle of North Island. Uh, it smells bad, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, my, parents, my grandparents lived there, and we went to visit them for a family holiday one time. And uh, we were there, and it was time to go to bed. And for some reason, I was a kid. You can't really explain the workings of my mind all the time. But uh, I began to think about what it would be like if I died that night. And for some reason, I imagined my death to such a degree that I could not go to sleep. And so I got to the point where I was literally in my parents' bed, bawling my eyes out as a small child, saying, if I go to sleep tonight, I'm going to die. And my parents are going, it's probably not going to happen. And uh, you're going to be all right and trying to comfort me down. But I just remember the overwhelming fear and terror that took hold of my heart because I was convinced that if I went to sleep, I was going to die. And what I've noticed as an adult raising three great children in my own family is that what children do is they spend hours and hours of their time acting as though things that aren't real really are. They, they, they imagine things all the time. How many of you ever spending time with kids? You know, you don't really need anything. I remember as, an, as a 19-year-old, one of my first dates with my now wife was to go to some of our, her friends' house to have dinner. They had small children. She was working as a nanny, and we turned up at this house, and, and this child that she was nannying for came out and met me. First time they met me, and, and the child says to me, would you like a biscuit? And I thought, yes, I would actually. I'd like a biscuit. And so I said, yes. And the child said, okay, I'll go get you one. Came back and gave me an empty plate. And I thought the kid was being naughty. I'm like, you're flipping eating my biscuit, you little rat bag. <laughs> In those days, you're allowed. And so, you know, so I looked at this kid and I said, where's my biscuit? And I said, it's on your plate. And I looked at my plate and I said, there's no plate. And Annie goes, oi. <laughs> I'm like, 
Yeah, I know that sound really well now. <laughs> I don't actually need, she doesn't need to say anything. I can feel the eyes, you know. It's like, it's like a burning, you know. <laughs> and uh, the married man knows what I mean. And so, and so I looked at her and she picked up nothing off her plate and ate it. I was like, oh, we're pretending. It's imagination. My eldest daughter, when she would pretend things as a small child, used to say, instead of imagine that, she'd say, imagination that. And she'd say, imagination that, Daddy. And I was like, yes, imagination that. I reckon for every parent in the room, you should never correct a child who makes a mistake like that. You should always cultivate it. She also used to say, instead of saying, I've got pins and needles, she used to say, I've got noodles and poodles. I don't know where she got it from, but I was like, have you really? Noodles and poodles. My, my youngest daughter, she did, for years she talked about wearing, instead of wearing a cardigan, she talked about her cardabin. When she went to school and they corrected her, I was so angry. I was like, child, it's a cardabin. And she'd go, no, dad, ever since it's a cardigan. I'm like, no, baby, it's a cardabin. Breaking my heart. This is the last little one I've got too, so it really did break my heart. But you know, children spend hours of their days and hours of their lives Acting as though things that aren't really real are real. But you know what I found is amazing is that as adults, we do exactly the same thing, but we just dress it up with flash words. We have words like stress, anxiety, worry. Some of us just use words like pressure. You know, just saying, hey, there's all these things that I'm worried about at the moment. You know what you're worried about is something that isn't real, worrying that maybe it might come about in your life. In other words, you're imagining the worst case scenario, and now you're beginning to act out as though that has already happened. And in many cases, we can medically see the effect that's having on your person, on your physical body. It is having a medical diagnosable effect because you are living in a place of imagination that is negative to such a degree that it's leading you into fear and condemnation and anxiety and pain. And you know what? God doesn't want you to live like that. God wants your life to be blessed. He wants your life to be full of happiness and joy and life and potential. God is God. The devil is a liar. And the devil wants to cause you to not see the opportunity in a situation, but only the problem. And God wants to cause the potential in your life to come about, no matter what the problems might be that surround it. How many know that in the midst of life's darkest challenges is the moment often where God will cause the light to shine the brightest and cause people who are strong in the Lord. The Bible says those who know the Lord will be strong and do great exploits. And God wants you to live in a place of positive thinking where you imagine a best case scenario so you can work through your life. You're going to get with me in a minute. I know that. You know, and what happened, you know, we had these earthquakes in Christchurch and people just started imagining the most bizarre scenarios. I had people literally, I had several people tell me if there's one more shake in Christchurch, which by the way, I could guarantee them there was going to be. If we have one more, the government's going to pull out of Christchurch. More than one person told me. I was like, how does the government pull out of Christchurch? Like if you actually rationally think about it, it's impossible. We pay taxes. They have to be here. Like, where are they going to go? No, we're not going to Christchurch anymore. Hello, Jerry. We voted you in. You're the minister for earthquakes. You're a lecturer. It's Islam. You have to come here. They can't move out of Christchurch. Like, hello. We're just not going to govern those 350,000 people. We'll pretend they're not there. You know, it was, it was irrational. People telling me, oh, that shopping mall there, it's actually dangerous. If it gets one more shake, it's going to fall down. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. 
That's why they've left it open. Uh, all those engineers, they get paid to do that, spend years at university, spend years on work sites. Yeah, they went in there and said, this is definitely dangerous. Open, I don't think so. But people are just imagining these bizarre things. And you're like, come on, man, get your mind under control. Stop imagining the worst. People who wouldn't go to places, they, 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 they had this ever-increasing sense of fear that began to come around their life. And you know what? In the middle of earthquakes, in the middle of challenge, fear is a natural response. And there is a point where, okay, you know what? If, if the ground is shaking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie down and hold on to it as hard as I can, right? But at the same time, if that fear begins to control my life, that is not God's purpose for my life. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Notice the last one, a sound mind. Not an irrational mind that begins to just let its imagination just run around into crazy spaces and just imagine up all these random things that are probably never going to happen. But often, you know what? That's the natural drift of our minds, isn't it? It's just to go, oh, this, you know, chicken looking was right. Here comes the sky. And, and, and it's just... Let everything go to custard in our lives. And I want to talk to you tonight about how we can cause our imagination, you know, to, to go forward. I reckon you've got to deal with reality, but you've got to imagine good things. Don't allow your mind just to drift into negative things and worst case scenarios and a whole thought apocalypse can overtake your thinking. But my friend, begin to dream about great days. You dream about the future. Your fears sometimes can become implausible. And you know what? Sometimes you just got to actually think about what you're afraid of and ask the question, is this realistic? Or am I actually just creating something inside my own mind in an ever-decreasing circle of fear that's going to captivate my life and cause me to live in a place where I can't move forward and be the person that God is calling me to be? You know, things that aren't real, but we're acting like they are. Because what you imagine enough, you start acting like it's true. Have a look at this in the Bible with me. If you've got 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 5, and the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, amazing verse. It says this, we've got to cast down imaginations. That's an amazing point. Cast down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, we've got to cast down our imagination and every high thought. So there's a progression of thought here that the Apostle Paul says. He says, first of all, if we have our imagination, we've got to bring our imagination under control. If we don't, our imagination becomes a high thing. And when a high thing, and other translations call that a stronghold, a stronghold being a place that is hard to penetrate by definition. If you were a kid building a fort, we used to try and make our fort strongholds so that no one could get into them. And what happens in our minds is, same thing. We can, we can imagine something so big and so great and so fearful that no matter what everyone, anybody says to us, it's rational. That's going to say, no, no, no. But now it's become a high thing in our thinking. And so it's become a stronghold in the way that we work and, and nobody can kind of get any reason. And then it says that it exalts itself even above the knowledge of God in our lives. And so we can live our lives afraid of this world and afraid of what can happen, even though we know in our kind of somewhere in our intellect that God is for us and God has our future and God has a plan, but we can begin to live so much controlled by fear that it becomes a high point in our thinking that exalts itself above the knowledge of what God is like. 
And it can so easily take hold of us if we allow our imagination to run to such an extent that it overcomes in our minds even what we know about God. That we ha- that's why we have to bring our thoughts captive. What we imagine will become a high point in our thinking. What we know about God must be the highest thing, the strongest part of our thinking. You know, when you run your thinking against the filter of God's character and God's Word, two immutable things that cannot change, God's character and God's Word. You know what? Everything else in this world may change, but God's character will never change, and God's Word will never change. He has always been with us, He has always been for us, and He will always be for us. God has always held me in the palm of His hand. I know there's no safer place on planet earth than to be in the center of God's will. I forget who it is, but one of the great old apostles of faith made this statement. He said, I am immortal so long as the purpose of God has not been completely fulfilled in my life. In other words, until God has finished what He wants to do through my life, I'm not going to fear death. I'm not going to fear sickness. I'm not going to fear pain. I'm not going to fear anything. But I'm going to live my life pursuing the plan that God has for me. And as I go after that plan. I know that God is always going to be on my side. And what the world might throw at me is irrelevant to what God has got because He's bigger than this world. And so often we allow our imagination just to exist in this, in this, in this sphere of fear and in this kind of paradigm of just all these horrible things that could happen and possibly, you don't know, you don't know, no, and I don't know, but neither do you. And I just reckon I'd rather be happy imagining a good future and knowing that God has got me in His hand than spend all my time full of fear and worrying about something that might not ever happen. You start acting like it's true, even though it contradicts the ultimate truth that you do know. That ultimate truth being God. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Now that word know there literally means to perceive. So you will perceive the truth and the truth will set you free. I want you to catch this. You, what you perceive in life is very, very important. Perception is reality. Because what we do with our thinking is we, we filter what happens around us through our own perception to try and figure out what's really going on. Does that make sense? I think we all understand that. So my perception of reality, for me, becomes reality. Whether or not that's truth or not, truth is an absolute. Truth is grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. God, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no kind of alternate reality. There is only truth and found in Jesus. But we all live to a certain degree inside of our own perception of reality. So what my perception, Jesus says, when you perceive the truth, the truth will set you free. In other words, when my perception of what's going on in this world is lined up with the truth of God's Word, when I understand what God is saying about this world and I begin to see it the way that God sees it, that begins to set freedom in my heart and set me free from everything else. Whenever my perception is different from the truth of God, that begins to release in my life bondage and fear and captivity and holds me back from what God wants in my life. It's, it's what we would call a thought apocalypse. It's the moment where we begin to think futile thoughts because we're literally saying what God says is true is not true because I've somehow got a different perspective from God. Let me guarantee you, when you disagree with God, you're wrong. <laughs> and I'm wrong when I disagree with Him. God is always God. Capital G, by the way. You know, 
And it's worse than that because whenever your imagination or your thinking exalts itself above what you know about God, what you begin to do is give the devil a secure place of influence in your life. And the devil trades in darkness. The Bible says that God is light and darkness has no place in him at all, but the devil trades in darkness. In darkness, when I talk about darkness, I'm talking about fear. I'm talking about anxiety. I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about stress. I'm talking about that feeling of being overwhelmed in life. All of these feelings come from thoughts, and those thoughts seem to be taken captive to Christ. They come from imagination of that this world is, is just going to go pear-shaped. Everything's going to get bad. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my kids. I'm going to have to listen to country music. It's all going to go bad. And we're going to learn what it is to take hold of our thinking and our imagination. You know, on, on Tuesday, I went for a ride with one of our interns in Christchurch. His name is Tom Mould. Mysterious man was Mr. Tom Nero. He pushed his grandmother around in a barrow. But if you don't know, the poem's got nothing to do with it. Tom Mould is a great young intern in our church. And we, put, we went for a ride on our bikes. And we're riding up uh, Dyer's Pass in Christchurch, which is a fairly significant hill. For Christchurch, it's pretty much the only one. And uh, Wellington, you've got options, you know. We're just like, yes. Um, and, uh, and we're riding up this hill, and Tom's been riding for this year. I sort of, I, we, we got him into it, as we do to everybody who's, who's got a spirit of faith. And, uh, and we're riding up this hill, and all year, Tom, it's been me sort of coaching Tom. Come on, Tom. Come on, Tom. Come on, Tom. But Tom's like half my age. I'm an old man. Tom's a young man. So come on, Tom, come on, Tom. Well, we get up this ride, and I had ridden to the place we were meeting, and the whole way I was riding there, I was into a wind, a really strong headwind, so I was just kind of tired when I got there. And, and then we get to the bottom of the hill, and Tom's been waiting for me for a while. He's half my age. He's been pumping steroids in, and, and uh, you know, I'm joking. And uh, just to clarify, and, and, and so he's, oh, let's go to this hill. So we start riding up this hill, and the next thing, he's riding away from me, and I got nothing. I mean, I just flat, I got nothing, and I'm just... See, what happens in my head? I start imagining these worst-case scenarios. I'm like, this kid's just going to keep riding away from me. He's not going to stop. I bet my, my tires are punctured. I keep looking down, hoping, hoping that I had a puncture, because that would excuse it, eh? Oh, no, I'm pretty sure I got a puncture. No. Nah. Bad thought. Just keep imagining all these things. Then he stops and waits for me, and I catch up, and I'm like, yeah, it's really hot. We better, better strip off a bit, eh? So, keep riding he just pulls away again like nah it didn't work like then I start imagining him getting a puncture (laughs) then then a funny thing happened he changed gear and his chain got locked up and his pedals wouldn't turn and he just flat out fell off (laughs) it was like just bike just stopped going up a hill and he can't pedal anymore and he's like this and I'm like timber (laughs) then he gets up and rides away from me again I was like that's really bad we get to the top of Dyer's Pass, and you turn left on the Summit Road and begin to ride along. About 5K along Summit Road, there's a, a track comes up, Rapaki Track, and it's been closed off there because there's boulders falling down the road, and that's negative, and so they stopped us using it. And it's kind of annoying because it's a really nice ride through there, but uh, the boulders kind of distract you as well. So, is, so we're, we're riding from there to there. It's about 5K there, 5K back. It's pretty steep terrain, 10K all up. It takes us about half an hour most times to ride it. And as we turn the ride, we're riding up this part, just started this thing and I'll tell you what my head's in a bad place I'm feeling so angry <laughs> just imagining these terrible things again I'm thinking if he's just going to keep I'm just going to get slower and older and just going to you know 
And then last Sunday's message from Pastor John just comes in my head. God is after my thoughts. And you can ask him. I'm literally riding along. I'm dying. I turned to him. And I said to him, Tom! And he's like, what? He's freaking out. God is after my thoughts. He looks at me and goes, okay. <laughs> he's thinking the pastor's gone mad, you know. I'm like, Tom! He's like, yes. God is after my thoughts. It's like, okay. And I stood up and started going as fast as I could. And I thought, I'm going to get myself on a positive. Do you know I set a personal record from there back? A personal record. From the depths of despair to the heights of personal records. Do you know what I did two days later? On, this was on Tuesday. On Thursday, I thought, I can do better. I'm going to get up there and I'm going to smile the whole ride. I'm going to stay positive. I'm going to enjoy myself. I went up there by myself and I smashed that record by five minutes. I said, come on, somebody. I'm an athlete. I'm an athlete. <laughs> you know, but the devil trades in darkness. He wants to get you in a negative space where you're imagining someone else has to crash so that you can get past them. Where you're imagining punctures on your tires. When you're imagining bad things. And all you got to do is grab hold of your mind and say, no, God is after my thoughts. And instead of allowing my imagination to go in a negative way, just say, I'm going to get myself happy somehow. Start thinking about something good. You know what I started thinking about? I started thinking about a competition that I won on Facebook. I mean, I just find it funny that I even entered it and then I won it. I couldn't believe it. It was the funniest thing. I get an email from my insurance company. And it says, make sure you enter our Facebook competition to win a riding top. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. So I clicked it. Takes me through. I have to sign in. I have to get people to help me sign into Facebook. I'm like, how do I do this? They're like, all these young guys. I will show you, Pastor Brent. Oh, thanks, guys. And then get in there. Get in there. Click that. Like a page. I don't even know you could do that kind of gear. Like some page of people I don't even know. Fantastic. Next thing you know, wow, look at that. They ring up. You've won a top. Unbelievable. And it arrived. I was like, this is funny. So I'm riding along thinking, I want a riding top. I can win this race. <laughs> Whatever you got to do, think a happy thought, Peter Pan torture. But we got to get away. <laughs> and imagine something good happening in your life. Is the eventuality that you are imagining consistent with the word and the character of God? Because my friend, if it's not, it's a thought apocalypse and it is time to end your futile thinking, your futile imagination. If it's causing fear in your life, cast down the imagination. Start imagining something that causes faith to rise on the inside and not fear. Hey, let me talk to you. The Bible shows us how to imagine. If you got your Bible, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. If not, it's on the screen. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Fix your imagination on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Things that are excellent and praiseworthy. You know, I reckon that's a great piece of just, that's a great litmus test, isn't it? Just to think about things that are worthy of praise. You know, every week in church, or most weeks anyway, we have something in our church called praise and prayer. How many of you have ever seen a praise and prayer in church? Yeah. Good, three of you. The rest of you need to start waking up and paying attention. 
So someone stands up here on the stage, they have a card, we have on one side, it has prayer requests. Someone's sick, someone's, someone's got some needs, someone's got things going on in life, there's always going to be requests. The Bible says, be anxious about nothing but in everything. Present your requests to God and the God of peace. In other words, when you're feeling anxiety, get your prayer going to God and begin to imagine Him working your life and the God of peace is going to come in your heart and He's going to guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. So we present our requests to God. We also have people who stand here and begin to present our praise to God because when we ask for things how we know God does miracles in our midst and we see it all the time of people getting healed of things and seeing God provide and God move supernaturally and so we stand up to give praise to God for those things and you know what I reckon we should do is when our minds begin to imagine a certain end point you, you want to know whether what you're imagining is a good thing or not imagine someone standing right here with a card in their hand written down your name and what you're imagining if you want that to happen praise God keep on imagining Imagining it. If you're thinking, no, 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 no. You need to stop what you're imagining right now and start switching it to bring it into alignment with God's Word. Because God's Word is think about things that are praiseworthy. In other words, think about things that you want to tell people about what God's been doing in your life and you want it to be shared with everybody. That's what we want to imagine. Yeah. Don't imagine the end of the world. Imagine the beginning of God's blessing. Don't imagine that thing's going to end in disaster. Imagine it's going to end in a miracle, turning it all around. No matter what we face in life, we can change the way that we walk through our situation. You know, even bad things, God can turn them around to be good. We lived through earthquakes in Christchurch where 185 people were killed. Where, I mean, myself, our house was gone. We had eight weeks as refugees. We have people in our church who are still working through situations, still going through things. And I know that we haven't had that level of damage here in Wellington, and, and that praise God for that. But here's the thing. In the midst of that, I've never seen so many people find a Savior in Jesus. Because the, even though it was a terrible day, and I never, ever wanted that day, and I never will be, great, be happy about the actual day that happened. But out from the ashes, God is able to, do, to make all things beautiful in this time. And people were awakened to the reality of eternity and started to look for answers. In the midst of our material, shallow world, they're looking around going, what happens when all of this, when the whole earth crumbles? You know, this is what David says, God is my refuge and strength, my ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. In other words, you can know what it is in Jesus to have such a strength in your knowledge and your relationship with God that even when the earth begins to shake and things just start to go bad, you can know that in God I have found a refuge and a strength in the middle of this. It's going to hold me through. And I'm telling you right now, the whole world is looking for that kind of strength. And when they see it in people, they begin to say, I need to know the person you know. Because if God can be in you, the hope of glory in the midst of this, how, how, how can I get that? In my own life, how can I meet Jesus as well? We've got to focus our thoughts, focus our attention, focus our imagination on the things that God can do in the midst of our situation. Some of you are facing some difficult situations. Start imagining that praise report. 
Start imagining what it would look like if God was just to turn around and do a miracle in the middle of your situation. Start to see it in your mind's eye. Literally think about what it would look like where you're seated tonight if the person standing here began to share about your miracle being unlocked. As you begin to do that, you know what happens? Faith begins to rise in your heart. When you imagine bad things, fear rises. When you imagine good things, faith rises. And faith begins to come in your heart and you begin to believe for something greater. I'm telling you, prayers are going to change. You're going to stop praying. Oh God, just please rescue. You're going to start praying, God, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for your freedom. I thank you for moving in power. I thank you for a generation arising to change a nation. I thank you, God, that you're for us and not against us. And you're bigger than our problems. Oh, I'm preaching somebody happy in this room tonight. Stop imagining being made redundant. Start imagining a promotion. Stop thinking about your child going off the rails. Imagine them being successful and happy. Stop imagining you're going to fail that exam. Start imagining that PhD on the wall. Start imagining God doing something great in your life. Imagine something worthy of praise. Look, the doctors can say what doctors, doctors say what doctors know. But I've found in life it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And I've found in Jesus, the healer, the deliverer, the savior of the world, the one who can turn anything around. And we can know what we know, but we've got to focus on who we know. Because all we need is found in Him. It is found in Christ and in Christ alone, the hope of glory. Fix your imagination on the good things of God, my friend. Oh, think about those things. Think about those things. Oh, man. Look, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says that Him who is immeasurably able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine. You know what that means? What you can imagine, God can exceed. In other words, what you imagine is only a seed for what God could do. So it's time to imagine something better. Because you want a better seed for God to move in. When you imagine, you begin to create faith in your own heart. Have a look at what God does. This is an amazing verse here. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, the biggest understatement potentially in all the Bible. God speaking, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. <laughs> Praise God for that. <laughs> my thoughts are not like your thoughts. What is God's thoughts like? Have a look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wow. I want you to catch something here. Before you were in the womb, God knew you. But where were you? See, I've thought about this verse a lot. Before you were in your mother's womb, God knew you. But you weren't there. But how could he know someone that wasn't there? Have a look at this. Have a look at this. How can I explain this? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So God knew you before you existed. So where did you exist? I wonder whether you existed in God's imagination. So the Bible says this. When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, where did God get light like the concept? Where did that come from? Was he just imagining what light would look like? And then he said it. And God said, all this other stuff. Then he, imagine it. Day, day six, he gets down and he finds this dirt on the ground. And he starts just playing in the dirt, you know. Like, 
<laughs> I don't know. I mean, I reckon he must have had a little Tonka truck there, you know. But, <laughs> but he's just there. He's playing in the dirt, making the stuff. He's like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. Oh, look at that. And then he sort of stands back and looks at him and he goes, but what's he doing? He's literally imagining things, and then he speaks. Let, be, let us make man. Let's make that. Let's call it man. Let's make man in our image. And when God speaks, it comes into life. My thoughts aren't like your thoughts. I'm not saying that God is thinking the way that we think. I think God just thinks a totally different way. The Bible says that God speaks to those things that are not as though they were. Which sounds like kind of like how we imagine things. We imagine things that are not as though they were. And then we live as though they're real, even though they're not. But God, He speaks about things that are not as though they were. And when He speaks about them, they become. Because whatever God says happens. So in other words, it's like God is giving us a picture into our own mind, into His mind of how He thinks. God thinks about things and then He speaks and they become. You know what we do? We do the similar thing. We think about things and then often we say nothing, but we act as though they're real. Are you with me? But God has said, I put my word in your, my word in your mouth like a fire. So in other words, what God wants us to do is to imagine not bad things, but good things. He wants us to imagine them to such a point that we begin to speak them out as though they're happening. When God's word is in our mouth and we're speaking, you know what you're speaking then? You're speaking words of faith, not words of fear, not words of terror, not words of, you know, you're not telling everybody that the mall's going to fall down, you're telling everybody that the government's going to leave Christchurch. You can't leave Wellington. They live here. You know, it's the whole thing's based here. You're going to be okay. It's too hard to move the beehive. They haven't got a helicopter that big. Start to imagine these good things. God's going to bring blessing on your life. I can see that sickness. God's going to get, you're going to get healed. I can see your family. It's going to turn around. I can see, I can see you, you're going to pass that. You're going to get that degree, my friend. Nothing's going to stop the hand of God that's working in your life. And because you begin to see it in your mind's eye, you begin to speak it out in faith, and you begin to see it with your own eyes. Here's what Jesus said, John chapter 11, verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? In other words, believe it first, then you see it. And then Jesus spoke. He said, Lazarus, come out. There's a dead man in a grave. And everyone's going, he's not coming out, baby. He's been dead a long time. And he's been so long dead that he's going to be smelling bad. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I reckon I can see him coming on. Here he comes right now. And he comes out of the grave. Why is that? Because Jesus had a faith that wasn't based in a negative imagination, but in a positive imagination. I reckon God can raise him from the dead. Just simply that statement, my friend, is a statement of faith. And we've got to allow ourselves and our minds, instead of drifting in the negative, to say, no, I'm taking hold of the full apocalypse and I'm believing for the best thing that God could do. I'm going to imagine miracles breaking loose. I'm going to imagine my family turning around. I'm going to imagine my business taking off. I'm going to imagine God doing something great. And I'm going to begin to speak out the blessing of God and see God do great things in the midst of our generation. Because the devil wants to hold your life down in fear. He wants to capture your thinking. He wants to cause everything in your just to get in that whole chicken licking kind of a sense. Of, the sky is falling in. I felt an acorn hit the ground. But what God wants you to do is say, no, look up and get in the tree. You know, it's, it's, it's not coming down. It's just one acorn. And so often in life, that really didn't make sense. But get in the tree, you know, just climb it. I don't know why I said that, but... 
I've been doing so good all night, you know. I'm sorry, those people who are here for the first time, I'm sorry. I'm from Christchurch. I'm still happy about the All Blacks. How many Australians in the room? Watsons, how you doing? Fantastic. But you know what? In your spirit, you're not really, you're not real good. You're not real good at telling the difference between reality and imagination. That's why Jesus said, if you look at a woman with adultery in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Uh, With lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Because in some ways, you don't really tell the difference. You begin to act out like what you've imagined is true. And you see this in so many different ways. You know, sports psychologists, you know, they talk about visualization. You know, top players, they visualize things happening. Why? They're just imagining something, and it begins to trigger the way that you respond. Psychologists talk about it all the time. People see things, and they expect things, and and it affects everything about us. The woman with the issue of blood, you know, came to Jesus to be healed. And the Bible says that she said these words, If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. You know what, what she's really doing is just vision. She's imagining, touching, you know, she's imagining grabbing hold of that gun. I've got to get through this crowd. How can I get through this crowd? Why? Because I'm going to, I'm going to, oh, I can see the edge of his gun. I'm just going to grab hold of that. And she, you, she can see it in her mind's eye, grabbing hold of it. And because she saw that, it raised faith in her heart and she did it. And she received her healing because she imagined something good. She could have said, if I get in the middle of that crowd, and she could have imagined all the bad things that could have happened to her and the, all the problems that could have come around her. But she said, no, 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 if I can just do that, then I'll be healed. And so it is with us that we've got to learn what it is. Instead of thinking about all the things that could go wrong and all the negatives that could happen in life, to start thinking about if Jesus comes in the middle of my situation, if God was to produce a miracle, what could that look like? What could happen if God began to turn up in my business? What began to happen if God would turn up in the middle of my world? What would happen if God would turn up for my What if God just turned up in my family and I begin to be able to share about Christ? What would it be like if I told that family member about the God who loved me and died for me and loves them as well? What would it be like? And imagine a good scenario, not a bad one, and begin to allow faith to rise in your heart. And I'm telling you what, when you begin to imagine in the right direction, you begin to feel in the right direction. And a lot of the negative feelings that we live with in life are simply a result of us allowing our minds to track down negative ways and create negative endorphins and negative negative chemicals in our bodies that cause us to live and feel a certain way. But your feelings are not about reality. Your feelings are about how you're thinking. And if you change your thinking, you can change your feeling. If you change your feeling, you'll change your speaking. Change your speaking, you'll change your world. And we want to hear to change your world for Jesus, my friend. We're here to reach this place and cause God to be glorified in this planet, in this city, in this nation. And we're going to imagine a revival until the day we see it with our own eyes. And we're going to declare it in Jesus' name, my friend. And if you believe, you will see the glory of God being unlocked in our situation in Jesus' name. The band could come and take the stage with me. I'm coming to a close. But, you know, I, I fly a little bit. And so I get in this plane, and I'm sitting on the— well, I was actually flying to Wellington. It was a 737 Air New Zealand, sitting on the, in the aisle seat, sitting in my seat, getting ready to go. I got, I got my iPad. I put it in the pouch in front of me because I'm thinking, right, on the flight, I'm going to do some work and, you know, kind of get some stuff sorted. The pilot comes on as they do. Ladies and gentlemen, just like to welcome you. By the way, 
when you're already up flying, you know, and the pilot comes on, so I said, ladies and gentlemen, just that we tell you, we're flying at 30,000 feet, uh, about 800 nautical miles away from our destination. We're going to be on the ground outside the tarmac, on the tarmac, whatever, outside the terminal <laughs> in about 15 minutes. You know what I always want to do? Fantastic. Do you want to hear what I was doing? I was trying to watch a movie. <laughs> and you're ruining my movie here. How about you do your job and I'll do mine? But anyway, honestly, like I care. Just land the plane, man. <laughs> and we're sitting on the ground. And the pilot comes on and goes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just got some news for you about the flight. Um, very strong northwesterly flow of air over the whole country. It's going to be incredibly bumpy. Uh, we won't be turning off the seatbelt sign at any stage during this flight. Uh, this, there'll be no tea, coffee service. The stewards will be locked in for the entire flight. Uh, I suggest you fasten your seatbelt nice and tight. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Uh, we have flight time for roughly 29 minutes, and uh, we'll see you on the ground in Christchurch. Goodbye. So I hear that, and I think, no work, but the iPad and the flap, I might have a sleep. Because I figure if it's going to be bumpy, you might as well enjoy a good nap. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a nana nap, is there? You know, in the middle of the day. So I put my head back, close my eyes. And I hear this lady, she's sitting one, just the row behind me against the window. And she starts crying. I'm like, what's she crying for? She starts crying. We're still, we've not even left the airport. We're still, they haven't even closed the door. And she's crying. And I'm like, what's she crying for? And, so, and then she's crying. And I hear her say these words, we're going to die. <laughs> and I'm like, pilot just said, we're going to fly through some turbulence. And he'll talk to us when we get on the ground in Wellington. If the pilot, the person who flies every day for a living, believes that this plane is going to crash and we're going to die, I don't reckon he's going to take off. <laughs> I reckon he's going to go home, hey. He's going, no, nah, look, too dangerous for going home. You know, we've got these air traffic controllers up in the tower over there. If they thought the plane was going to crash, they're not going to let us take off. I've been in so many planes that didn't take off because, like, no, fog. Especially if you're ever in Hamilton. Fog, fog, fog. In Hamilton, they, the only way they keep people in Hamilton is through fog, and they charge you to leave. It's five bucks to get out of the place. It's the only reason anybody lives there. They just can't leave. I'm telling you, it's true. So, and I began to think about, it's a funny thing, your imagination. Because he says, the pilot says the same thing to two people. One thing's sleep, the other thing's death. <laughs> but it literally, it's just about the way that your imagination goes. Just thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to get any work done because if I try, I'll probably just end up feeling sick. So I'll just go to sleep. And when we get to Wellington, I'll try and catch up. That's immediately what I just imagined. Now, this is how my day is going to work out. This lady, her day's about to end. <laughs> she had the ultimate thought apocalypse. Literally, she saw the end of the world. But you know, there's really only two paths. And Jesus said there's a, there's a narrow path that leads to life. And there's a wide path that leads to destruction. In other words, what that means is that the easiest way to allow your mind to go is negative. The easiest imagination is always bad ones. You know, why do you think so many, so many people imagine what life would be like with a spouse different from the one that they have instead of imagining how they could fix the marriage they're in? 
Because it's actually easier. But when you begin to imagine the right way, it actually sets your life up to be full of joy. Negative emotions come from negative imagination. But we can hold ourselves in the will of God. Whenever we imagine and we're thinking things through, just coming back to the thought, would I like someone to stand up and share a praise and prayer report about what I'm imagining right now? Just by saying that sentence, God is after my thoughts. If you're ever riding up a hill and someone's in front of you, just repeat it over and over again. Especially if they're Ben Carroll and you just want to kill them. God is after my thoughts. Just imagine good things. Don't allow the devil to take you down that garden path, but allow God's Spirit to bring you into a place of life. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Cameron NZ and at Arise Church.